Hello again and welcome to Crime in Music. I'm your host, Brian J. Kinsley, and with me today, my friend Ben Rupel. Uh, I would like to, at some time in this podcast, Brian, uh, bring up and, and explain to the audience and give you some props for the beautiful studio that you're putting together. It's a little better every single time. I, I, we don't have time to talk about it right now, but I want to get there. We'll get there, just like every other week we get there and bring you a new true crime podcast about people in and around the music business and their misadventures into law-breaking. If you like music history, murder mystery, people with eccentricity, you've come to the right place. Share with a friend, tell a relative right now. We're trying to hit that big sky country like we discussed before. We need the Dakotas. Um, actually, you know what? Skip that. Let's go East Coast. Let's go New Hampshire. If you know someone in New Hampshire, you know someone in Maine. New Hampshire? Send them an episode. Send them your favorite episode. Tell them to check us out and give us a try. That's how we're going to grow the show bigger. We can bring you guys more stuff, more episodes, do more fun things. If you like fun things, check out our website, crimeandmusic.com. Leave us a speak pipe. Yeah, there's a monthly newsletter thing you can join. Uh, check out some old episodes. All the artwork is on there. Uh, click around. There's some fun things to try out there. It'll be a good time. Yeah, the old episodes. Those are the ones that, when I listen to them, they're a little cringeworthy for us. A little bit. Not, well, not only because we're just getting our feet wet, but that technical difficulty thing came up a lot. It does. It now, still happens. And No, well, yeah, it's sometimes, you know, things happen with the computer. But now Brian's got the computer stuff pretty much down. New mics, new headphones. The studio's like an actual kind of a studio. And he's got now artwork he's hanging up and... He just pointed out the new piece of, uh, uh, song, I think it's on loan from the Lou. The Lou. <laughs> La Lou. La Louvre. Uh, it's uh, Elvis's skull. We have Elvis's skull. Yeah, we have uh, Elvis's skull up here. Uh, 3D uh, we, printed Elvis's skull. This I, place is dope as shit. Uh, thanks, man. That makes me feel good. Well, geez. Uh, anyway, hey, man. Uh, it's good to see you. Hey, uh, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a while since I saw you in the studio. We had a couple of Jason episodes in there, but... Uh, you're back. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, and, and back your, and forth. And your front is here too. Yes, yes my, fr- my front and my back are both here. It's a beautiful day here in Michigan. It's December. It is December. Well, it's not. But this, this. well, well no, hold on. Let's just hold on here. Give me one second. Let's, go, let's get through yeah. guest to guest. Yeah, love that. Let's get through guest to guest, and then we'll talk about what time of year it is. Okay. All, All right. right. So All right. we're going to play everyone's favorite game. I say that, but no one plays this game but you because it's in the every, title of the episode. How many, so many people have said, you know, I log on and I pick an episode and it says, you know, whatever, Kid Rock. Yeah. And so you go play Guess the Guest and I know it's Kid Rock. Is there any way to get around that? Well, like, I don't think there is. Don't think so. I'm sorry. I've tried. If you do know, let me know. Share it with me on the social medias. I will try my hardest. This is 100% Game for Ben. There you go. Game for I Ben. I love it. It's Here we go. Game. Guess the guest. I sing this in my shower sometimes, all alone. I'll just be like, dun, 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 nice. dun, dun, I'll just shout out something. John Lennon. No, shit. All right. Ooh. John Lee Hooker. No, not John Lee Hooker. John Bon Jovi. No, not John. There are a lot it's of, a John. A lot of Johns with you in the shower? <laughs> that, that, should, that, that deserves your little, uh, there it is. All Go right. Ahead. Guess the guest. <clears throat> Speaking of showers. Strange fruit. Okay. Okay. Strange fruit. Uh, well, hold on. Do I know this person? Yes. Okay. You hesitate a little bit. Strange fruit. Okay. Strange no. fruit. No. 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 no, I don't want to start clouding my mind with wrong guesses. Okay. 
Um, this is our holiday episode. Okay. Strange well, fruit. Is it Billy Holiday? Damn it! Nothing I could do about that. Okay. Okay. This yeah. was uh, uh, full, full, full. Um, what do they call it? We got to tell the truth here, Brian. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. I did see that name on his computer screen. Yeah. And I'm sitting there staring at it, and I'm not even really thinking about what I'm looking at, and I just said, shit, Brian, that's not our guest, is it? And I tried. I tried. Like, no, no, that's what I'm doing with Jason. <laughs> okay. And you I knew I was going to I could. I had no choice. Yeah, I, I mean, had no choice. You knew I was going to I swap it. folders. I, I, I don't necessarily um, release them in the order we record them, uh, so I swap folders, and Ben caught a glimpse. Strange fruit. Nope. No, I have no idea what that's referenced okay. to. And then we would have went to, she has a boy's name traditionally. I would have gotten it with Holiday when you well, said yeah. Because La- you kind of. Lady Day and then today yeah, is I a Holiday episode. Hall- I would have said Billy. I think I, w- I don't know. And then her actual name is Eleonora Fagan. And I would have said, okay. Ben, have you ever heard of Eleonora Fagan? No, I think I would have guessed Billy Holiday. After you said Holiday. Holiday episode, yeah. Yeah. You can listen to this whenever you want, guys. It doesn't have to be. It's coincidental that we're recording this around uh, American holidays, but you don't have to. Well, I mean, a lot of the world celebrates this time of the year as a holiday season. It's not just holiday season. Not just for the the, the big one here in the Western world is Christmas. That's true. But you got your Hanukkah starting, I think, tomorrow. Yeah, Hanukkah. Friday. Is it Friday's? Kwanzaa. Uh, but uh, the end of the year is a thing, too. I know the Chinese New Year is a different uh, time of the Chinese year. Chinese. No, the, uh, the New year. big I don't holiday know. season. I don't, I, okay. It doesn't just have to be Christmas. <laughs> no, Christmaca. Christmaca. Yeah. Festivus. Uh, that's my favorite. We got to put the pole up. <laughs> Airing of the grievances. <laughs> I'm a fan of feats of strength. I just, that sounds fun. Uh, I thought you already had a hernia operation you had to battle through. <laughs> I had three. <laughs> Speaking of uh, unfortunate uh, times in the hospital, April 7th, 1915, she's born, Eleonora Fagan. I just know it kind of hurts moms and babies are born. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. Okay. She's got parents Clarence Holiday, her dad, and Sarah Julia. They call her Sadie Fagan. That's uh, her mom. And she's born in Pennsylvania. All right, Pennsylvania. In the creepy town of Pennsylvania. Wow. Oh, um, wait, that's Transylvania. Can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, at the risk of seeming, uh, right? She, 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 black chick. That's correct. Okay. Well, see, my we, my dad has a lot of her albums, and we'd listen to them as oh, yeah. kids, and and oh, I guess I didn't think about that when you're listening to the albums, and I no. probably haven't listened to a lot of Billie Holiday right anytime recently, right? But that's my memory of Billie Holiday is listening to it in my at my in my dad's workshop or the house or whatever. This is awesome. I was really hoping that and, was the case. Honestly, and so in my head, it just oh she black chick. You right? were correct. Right. That's the image you should have. But I've been wrong so many times <laughs> in this world. I'm guessing I I don't for whatever reason something gets stuck in my head and it is gospel. Yeah. Okay, so I'm right this time. Good. I love being right. It, You know, once in a lifetime. Okay, she's born in Pennsylvania. Her mom, uh, Sadie, moves to Philadelphia at the age of 19 after she's evicted from her parents' house. This would be Eleanor's grandparents' house uh, down in Sandtown, Winchester neighborhood of Baltimore, Maryland, because she got pregnant with Eleonora. So they kicked her out because she's having a baby? Yep. That's hardcore, dude. So with no support from her parents, she made arrangements with her uh, older married half-sister, Eva Miller, and uh, her and Eleanor are going to stay with her in Baltimore. Wow. So not that's, long. That's rough. That's a rough way to start, right? Hey, Mom, Dad, 
I got something I got to tell you. This guy, got drunk and I'm pregnant. Get out. Get out. <laughs> See ya. What? Just the door closed. I need help. I'm young. I don't know dad. Um, get out. <laughs> Not under my roof. Wow. That's harsh, dude. That is harsh. That is harsh. That is harsh. Even for 1915. All right. Uh, not long after Eleanor is born and her dad, Clarence, uh, he abandons the family to pursue his career as... A watchmaker. A jazz banjo player and guitarist. I've been to nearly zero jazz musician things. <laughs> jazz concerts. But I got to believe the number zero is would be about the number of banjo players in a jazz group it's, it's, it's <laughs> hey guys uh you guys doing some jazz yeah who's your banjo player let me grab my banjo i'll be there i love jazz uh, what, oh what do you play piano trumpet banjo yeah a stand-up bass no it's a different stringed instrument did definitely oh, go guitar bass guitar? guitar no, no. lead no mm. banjo <laughs> who let steve martin in <laughs> uh i don't think you know what jazz is no, he played uh, rhythm guitar and banjo as a member of the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra. He also recorded with people like Benny Carter, Bob Howard, Charlie Turner, Louis Metcalf, and Don Redman and his big band. Oh, Don Redman. Well, and his band. Oh, yeah, the okay. big band. Not I, the I, only know, I only know Don, but no. Um, no so Charlie Turner is famous in that list. Uh, Benny Carter is pretty famous. Louis Metcalf. These are all jazz guys. This the, is going to really draw on my jazz training. So this is her. Her dad. This is her dad. That yeah. ran out on him. Right. He's like, man, it's my dream in life to play jazz banjo. It wasn't to have a baby. I didn't want a baby, especially since your parents kicked you out. So that means now I have to take care of everyone. <laughs> so I'm going to go play jazz banjo. That sounds like a more achievable dream than staying here and raising this kid. Steve Martin has a podcast now. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> just about anybody on this shit. Oh my god, right. It's like just anybody in the world with a computer can get on the internet and start talking about shit. Well, uh, don't worry about that. I'm not. That doesn't make any sense. You wrote it. I know. Brian's, let me give uh, the, uh, the audience perplexed. a visual here. Brian just totally seized up, staring at his cards like Hypnotoad is drawn on there. Oh, I don't know what's dude, going on. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it makes no sense to me, but we're going to run with it anyway because I did. I don't. I write these a while ago. You know? We're going to blame this on the, on the editor. Yeah. Well, they'll be editing. He died in 1937, he did, after being exposed to mustard gas while serving in World War One. Oh, the dad did? Yeah. So he fell ill with a yeah. lung disorder while on tour in Texas and re refused treatment at a local hospital. When they agreed to care, he was only allowed the Jim Crow ward of the Veterans Hospital. And by then, pneumonia sets in, and without antibiotics, uh, his illness was fatal. Oh, so he was in World War One. He was. Got a little mustard gas in him. Apparently so. That ain't good. Right. And had complications later on down the road. Correct. After playing at all these smoky jazz clubs. There you go. I was like, now keep in mind, I did say 1937. We're only at 1915 in her story, but her dad, you know what happens to him. Okay. No so. need to talk about it. Now, the problem is some historians disputed Eleanor's paternity, and there's a copy of her birth certificate in Baltimore that lists the father as Frank Device. Device. I like that name. Device. Device. Devices. D-E- uh, big D, capital uh, capital D, little E, big V. What do you think it's, your wife's favorite device is? Uh, Frank's. This is taking a turn. 
Other historians have considered this an anomaly, probably inserted by a hospital or a government worker. This guy, Device, lived in Philadelphia, and Sadie Harris might have known him through her work. Okay. You go, what kind of work does she do? What kind of work does she do, right? She took jobs that were then known as, quote, transportation jobs, serving passengers on railroads. She's yeah. a railroad stewardess. Helping them get off? Uh, no, I think cigar, <laughs> cigarettes. Cigar, cigarettes. I just sometimes crack myself up. You I? do a good job. All right. Eleanor grew up in Baltimore. She had a very difficult childhood, as we've already discussed. It, it was, was hard. A, a rough beginning. It was hard. She was raised largely by Eva Marie's mother-in-law, Martha Miller, and suffered from her mother's absences being, you know, she's taking care of people on the trains or mm-hmm. whatever. And so that's the first decade of uh, Eleanor's life. She frequently skipped school January 5th, 1925. She's nine years old. Uh, truancy she gets busted. She results in her being brought before the juvenile court. Ah, the juvenile court. Now, as we've talked about children's prisons before, she's sent to the good. Oh, yeah, well, get ready for the <laughs> like some flower, flowery bullshit name. She's sent to the House of Good Shepherd. There we go. Uh, Catholic it. Reform School, uh, where on March 19th, 1925, she is, it almost read as forcibly baptized at the House of the Good Shepherd. Somebody's b- bullying her in the bathroom and dunked her in the toilet. In the name of the father. <laughs> Swirlies in the name of the son. October 3rd, 1925, after nine months in care, quote, care, care. she is paroled to her mother. Par- oh, Java. <laughs> so lucky. You can leave, but your mom has to watch you. Well, you're supposed to. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> no, I wasn't. You're nine. To. Maybe ten at a time, but whatever. Well, okay, it's not bad. Her mom, Sadie, she opens a restaurant, the East Side Grill, and together her and her nine-year-old work long hours there. Okay. That sounds fun. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Must have been really fun. Good tips and such, because 1926, the next year, uh, she turns 10. Well, she turns 10, 11, whatever. Eleanor what? drops out of school, working at the at the diner. She's making, she's making coin, man. Literally. Well, and I don't think back then... Everybody stayed in school all the time. Were they still in the Philadelphia area? I believe that's correct. Okay. All right. Well, I think there's different. Uh, did my mic just go bye bye for a half second? For a half second. Oh no, I don't think it was that big of a deal. In different plug parts. in the end. No. What no, the you... end of the cord. Plug in the end. It is plugged in. No, this end. Like, see this thing here that plugs in. You want the me phys- to touch it? Just push it in. There you go. Just is make... it in? Yeah. <laughs> that's what she said. No, the only thing. Go ahead. Though. No, back in that day. Education wasn't as important as it is today, and it was drastically different from different regions of the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, like the importance of education as opposed to like coal mining. Or, or farming the fields. So right, or farming, for, a, right. for a 10-year-old to stop going to school in the 1920s. Not super unusual. Not super unusual. And in her case, I think she was actually is go to school and starve. Or help my mom with the restaurant. Work we the can restaurant. have a house and, you know, a house and food. There you go. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, things are uh, not going well. December 24th, 1926, right. Christmas Eve. She just, just stays in school. Oh, dude, she should have stayed in school because uh, she comes home to discover a neighbor, Wilbur Rich, is attempting to rape Eleonora. What a dick. Now, she successfully fought back and Rich is arrested. Officers placed Eleonora back at the house of Good Shepherd under protective custody, quote unquote. Oh, she gets sent back to the Who Scout because her mom was getting raped by a dude? No, she was getting raped by a dude and her mom walked in and found him. Oh, the 10 year old was getting raped by a dude. There you go. Now I really want to shoot him in the face. Right. So uh, she's in protective custody at the uh, Catholic uh, Good Shepherd 
house. Okay, uh, so I'm going to go back. She's a state witness in a rape case now. She's now getting sent to the juvenile detention center because she was a victim of a rape. Correct. For her own protection. All right. That sounds that sounds wrong. A little mean, sketch. whatever. Yep. But maybe it was the for the best. Well, let's, February let's say it was for the best. February nineteen twenty seven. So she's there uh, two months, three months. Eleanor is released again and she's nearly twelve years old now. Okay. So she finds a job running errands in a brothel and scrubbing marble steps and the kitchens and bathroom floors of neighbors' homes. Maybe she should have stayed in the juvenile home. She might have Work, stayed at school. Working at the brothel. Yeah. Nice. Around this time, she first hears the records of Louis Armstrong and Bessie Smith. Okay. Now, Louis uh, Armstrong was the trumpet dude, right? I believe that's correct. All right. No, I know that's correct. It is. Okay. Uh, in particular, Eleonora cited West End Blues as an intriguing influence, pointing uh, specifically to the scat section. There's a duet, and the clarinet is her favorite part. So now this West End Blues is a multi-strain 12-bar blues composition by Joel King Oliver. It's most commonly performed as an instrumental, but it does have lyrics. And the final chorus is dominated by a four-bar, 12-second-long high B. Woo! Check that B. (laughs) The West End, and the title refers to the westmost part of Lake Pontchartrain, uh, within New Orleans, Paris, Louisiana, USA. Okay. It's last stop on the trolley line from New Orleans to the lake. And so it was like a summer resort sort of thing with live music and pavilions, seafood restaurants, and lake bathing. Lake bathing? Yeah, you could bathe in the lake like fancy people. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so gross. <laughs> just a like, bunch of people out there scrubbing up in the lake, and you're just like, oh. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, too many times that I got done swimming in the lake. Uh, we swim in lakes here in Michigan. We don't have oceans. We have lakes. Everywhere. We have rivers. Yeah. Uh, we have pools. We have hot tubs. Whatever. I have a river. Uh, we, we, after, we go tubing. After almost all of those, including the pool Canoeing, and hot tub, kayaking. I, I kind of like to go bathe in a shower. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Rinse off the PFAS off of your body. and uh, Dude, you get swimmers itching lakes. <sighs> That's so true. I hate talking about this stuff because then it's like I never want to go. And then swimmers itch. You got leeches in there. There's small fish that'll bite your toes. Check them down low for bites. Yeah. Ugh. By the end of 1928, Eleanor's mother moved to Harlem, New York, leaving uh, Eleanor with Martha Miller, her aunt Eva's mother-in-law again. And then early 1929, Ella moves up there to New York and joins her mom in Harlem. Uh, their landlady is this really sharp-dressed lady. She's got real fancy duds on in 1929 for a lady. Her name is Florence Williams. What do you think she does? She runs a brothel. She runs a brothel. Nailed it. <laughs> at 151 West 140th Street. Uh, Eleonora's mother becomes a sex worker, and within a matter of days of arriving in New York, Eleonora, not even 14 yet, becomes a victim of sexual trafficking at $5 per client. Oh, my God. I- can I don't I, know how we got the I research be done on now? that. Can I be done? I hate this part of the show. It gets better. <laughs> so can't get much worse. I was just about to say. You know, I think Harlem was pretty nice back then. <laughs> it's going to be a good move. Well, I mean, I'm hoping big things for Eleonora. I'm seeing a good move here. May second, 1929. The house is raided. The brothel and Eleonora and her mom are sent to prison because forced sex work is still illegal. All right. I mean, I don't think it is. I'm just, well, that's just a line, but they go to jail. I don't even want to get off on this tangent, but there is a bill trying to be passed. I just heard about it yesterday where they want to start being able to charge in some certain circumstances underage 
um, sex workers as a crime. Like, like if you're like doing the job. Well, if you're in a spot in the world where being a sex worker is illegal, okay, and you get in trouble for it, and you're 18, yeah, you get in trouble for it. But oh, if you're oh sev- like, if like you're, a ticket. I if get you're you. underage, okay. right, you're a victim. If you're overage, you're a a plain a, 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 a you're in you're bad consensual party. So they're trying to say, you know, there are too many sex workers out there that are underage getting away with it because they can. Huh. They don't get in trouble for it. So they want to make a law almost to help protect these kids. Yeah. I'm like, this seems all backwards and counterintuitive. But when you think about it, like, these there's 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 kids out there that are underage doing it to make money and they don't and they know they can get away with it. Like you can't get in work, you can't get in trouble. All you gotta do is say you're you're underage. The damn internet's giving people too much information. I don't like it. Yeah, let's stop it. Put a throttle on it. You no. should go live in one of those countries where they can turn it off on a the, the El Presidente's got a fucking lever. Oh, just flip lever. the switch, man. Just, no, <laughs> El Presidente gets caught with a prostitute, and he's like, "Nope, don't want that getting out." Click. I will tell you, you're a gamer. I've been, I got, I, it, I'm gonna share uh, something I'm highly embarrassed about that's on my phone. But here we go. Is it a bowling game? No, it's oh, not. I you actually, said you had a bowling game. I actually shit. bought Tropico for my phone. It's embarrassing because that app costs eleven dollars, but I love that game so much on the Xbox because you are El Presidente yeah, of a small fun. island a nation. Game. Yeah, and if people protest against the government, you can have them killed or like sent to prison or kicked off your island. Huh. And so, yeah, the app is awesome because it's just like that. The controls are real good and stuff. So you're saying El Presidente, and I'm just having flashbacks with my Tropico game right now. Is that the one where you got to build your armies up and maybe fight another? country off to the east or some crap you will have you will have either americans or russians come and try and take over your army as superpowers but you just you know you just have good relations with them in a diplomatic ministry you buy them off basically i I don't think that's a game i've played in the past no you're thinking of risk no domination um, okay maybe i'll have to try tropico is it on a regular console pz crap yeah, hell, I don't I, play I'm, on my phone. No, it's on regular console. It's it's the Tropico Five nuclear whatever. <laughs> it's out there, El Presidente, and you've got your car. It's hilarious. You just said that. So you feel guilty that you spent money on a video phone game? Eleven dollars for an app. I'm a yeah. bit embarrassed yeah. by that. I will say All that's right. like the five thousand dollar I'm rich bitch app. Sidebar to the sidebar. Oh God, my wife was trying to put together like the scavenger hunt thing for her and her friends to do virtually. Yeah, and. My daughter says, oh, mom, you should use this thing called Goose Chase Hunt. Already thing. exists, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a thing. you got to just right. plug your crap. So here, goes through all this work of plugging in her crap. It's free if you only have three teams. Uh-oh. Anything more than three teams. Oh, yeah. You want to take a guess how much? $200. $300. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. It's something stupid. I figured. And I'm telling I'm like, no, it's not. You just didn't see the decimal point. <laughs> no, it's 300. It's like, wow. And that's for the mid-level, entry-level buy-in. Nope. But it, it sounds like it's because they use this. People use this to make a living putting together scavenger hunts. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Or businesses sure. use it for yeah. a thing. But, yes, um, <clears throat> did not buy that. <laughs> she she did it old school and used some, like, paper. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, people, you can charge even more for that. Then it's handcrafted. Yeah, well, Ma- um, Mandy put one together that we all did a few weeks ago. A bunch of families, a bunch of kids. This is where you run around your house? Where you're, uh, like, Zoom calling people? Ran around Linden Fenton area. Oh. Doing tasks. I see. Taking pictures, getting clues. There it is. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well. Back to Ed- Edma Fitzgerald. What's her name? 
Billy Holiday. Billy Holiday, aka Eleonora. Eleonora. July 29th, Eleonora spends some time in a workhouse. Her mom is released, and Eleonora is released in October. Uh, so she's out of the Huskow. As a young teenager, Eleonora started singing in nightclubs in Harlem. She took the professional pseudonym Billy Dove. Billy Dove. That's All who right. she, well, she got the Billy from Billy Dove. Now, Billy Dove is oh. one of the more popular actresses of the 1920s. She appeared in such silent films as Douglas Fairbanks' smash hit Technicolor, The Black Pirate. Oh, it was in Technicolor and it was silent? Yup. You remember that? Well, whatever. Uh, uh. 1926. That's when they had like tube TVs and stuff, not these fancy flat screens. I don't, think they, had TV. I don't think they had TV in 1926, but I could be wrong. I'm not. I had a film class. I think the first <gasps> oh, color it... film is The Great Train Robbery, and uh, that's the one where people- These are movies. Yeah. Okay. Black All right. Never movies. mind. Yeah, uh, You're right. I don't think they had TV until like the, the 90s. 90s. The 80s? Yeah, somewhere in the 80s. Yeah, somewhere in the 80s. She combined uh, Billy from this Billy Dove actress, uh, the first name, with her probable father last name, Clarence Holiday's last name, and that's how she got Billy Holiday. Oh, okay. Now, see, the other part's weird is that she spelled her last name uh, at the beginning, Hall, H-A-L-L, Holiday, and then that was her dad's actual last name. Clarence Holiday, mm-hmm. but then he changed it to Holiday because that's like peppy and jazzy, and so she's like Holiday. I'm gonna change mine to Holiday. So she got Billy Holiday. All right, there you go. Uh, 1929 to 1931, she teams up with her neighbor. The guy plays tenor saxophone. His name's Kenneth Holland. Uh, they perform at clubs like the Gray Dawn, Pods and Jerry's on 133 Street. Yeah, they make uh, good ice cream. Pods and Jerry's. Yep. Um, Rocky, Rocky, Rocky Raccoon Road and things like that. Uh, they also play at the Brooks Elks Club. Oh, the Elks Club was around back then, huh? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> it's Elks. Hit the Eagles next. I'm Elks, go to Eagles. BMW. <laughs> what, I, I want to write a song. I'm an elk, I'm a moose, I'm an eagle, I'm a lion. There's no social club, I'm not trying. That's a good song, Brian. You like it? That's my song right there. Yeah. Uh, the King of Swing, Benny Goodman, uh, American jazz band leader and clarinetist, recalled hearing Eleonora in 1931 at this place called The Bright Spot. Um, as her reputation grew, she played many clubs, including the Mexico's, the Alhambra Bar and Grill. Well, I think there's a, a Mexican joint in our town that's the Alhambra. Well, the Alhambra is a theater in Harlem, New York, built in 1905, where she meets Charlie Linton. He's well, a vocalist. Uh, no, no, thank you. Talking. He's a mint. Uh, he's a mint. Jeez, see what you did there? He's a vocalist who later worked with Chick Webb. He's an American jazz swing drummer and band leader. These guys will come back around. It's also during this period that uh, Eleanor is connected with her father before he dies. He was playing in Fletcher Henderson's band. Uh, we talked about that. Not not her, maybe not her real father. The well, guy that ran out on him yeah, a long time ago. Correct. But probably her dad. All right, maybe. Anyway. Maybe. 1932, 17-year-old Eleanor replaces singer Monette Moore at the Covans. That's a club on West 132nd Street. There's a lot of clubs in the 130s streets here in New York, I'm learning. Yeah, well, I mean. Is that the club district? Probably club district. There you go. Yeah, you know, club Uh, boys. Producer John Hammond, who loves this Monette Moore singer, right? He's a big music producer. He came down to hear Monette sing. Um, But Eleonora goes up first. Eleonora steals the show. Uh, what's his name here? This dude, John, he likes Eleonora and uh, it's kind of screws Monette more. Like 
like likes her likes her no just, just like her, her voice like okay. oh god this i don't even care who the next one is we're signing so her so the other lady was probably aware that she was kind of being scoped <laughs> oh yeah and she's excited and all of a sudden billy gets up there and blasts and then her thunder was definitely stolen sure man i bet they weren't best friends after they, that. black swan no and um, she was only sure 17 correct okay now, November 1933, this uh, John Hammond guy, he arranges for Eleanor to make her recording debut when she's 18 with Benny Goodman. Uh, yeah, that, that's an, with Benny Goodman. Yes. But he's he like doing? the band lead. He's, he, you know, Benny Goodman and his orchestra. Okay. Oh. Featuring Eleanora. Okay. I'm well, Billy Holiday, but still. I'm thinking of um, Benny Hill. Yeah, Yakety Sax. That we could actually probably play. I was thinking that. Guys like English people running around like funny, like oh a man in a dress, humorous. She records two songs with uh, Benny, uh, your mother's son-in-law, and Riffin. Riffin. Well, I'm sorry, and Riffin the Scotch. I don't know what that means. Is that a Riffin the Scotch? I don't know. That becomes her first hit, though. Um, son-in-law sells 300 copies. It was not well received. Riff and the Scotch released on November 11th, a little way later, sold 5,000 copies. It was well received. I'm sure most of those are getting just sold right there in New York City. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. At the 19, whatever we're in, she's 20s. Sure. Yeah. Late 20s. 30s. Because she's in her 20s. Well, so, now this is the time of the roaring 20s. Yeah. Prohibition. 1933, and... actually. When did Prohibition get canceled? 29. Yeah. So she. She was kind of oh at the re- up. yeah and the resurgence you're right yeah, yeah okay so uh, like us this guy John Hammond's impressed by Eleanor's singing and style and he says quote her singing almost changed uh, my musical taste my musical life because she was the first girl singer I'd come across who actually sang uh, and had improvisational jazz genius hmm. so he's like a girl can do music it's, girl it's 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 amazing it's weird I didn't but I think- like it. I didn't think they could do music. She does so much good music. She's so good. Hammond compared Eleonora favorably to Louis Armstrong and said that she had a good sense of lyric content for her young age. Oh, all right. High praise. <laughs> 1935, Eleonora lands a small role in Duke Ellington's musical short film, Symphony in Black. She plays a woman abused by her lover and sings Saddest Tale in her scene. She had to live that back in the day, man. I'm sure she was able to emote pretty well and relate. Nice emote. 1935, Eleanor is signed to Brunswick by John Hammond to record pop tunes with pianist Teddy Wilson in the swing style for the growing jukebox trade. Yeah, I, I you know, the jukebox trade. And I, I wonder if Dell would be able to kind of shed any light on that because he is a big jukebox guy. He's a big juker. Yeah, that's Jason's dad. Um, so the because of the jukebox, it actually steered music in a certain direction because... They needed to have songs that were at certain lengths that would fit on certain size albums, yep. little tiny little records, little records. Yep. And they 45s. needed it, and they needed it to be a certain length because they didn't want to have somebody go in there and put like uh, uh, the both sides of Jethro Tull's thick as a brick on there for twenty, you know, for for a nickel, like a Beethoven symphony. I yeah, guess, you at wanted the time. It to be nice and quick. Go in there, put some more money in the jukebox, and play right. another song. So that and and you knew you needed to maintain their standard of 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 length and or else you weren't getting played in the jukebox which was a huge media outlet for them now admittedly i don't plan any of our sidebars or rants but i do sort of see them coming down the path sometimes 
Never did I think you would pick up on the jukebox trade and how it steered music. As how we it know steered it music as because it did. You're right. Like one, my first thought was like, let's give a gamble on these jukeboxes that they're trying out and <laughs> see how this jukebox works. And then two, you're right. They had a certain amount of time because of the 45 size record, and you would have had to adjust what went in there. And then that sort of was availability, access to resources, so people can listen to music at the jukebox now, which was never an option before, what kind of music it presents them would be like, oh, new and cool to them. Like, oh, this jukebox music, I like that better than the radio music. Yeah. Huh. And, okay, so you remember when you were a kid, this this was probably kind of new when we were kids. You'd go to a diner or a little restaurant with your family. And, they got the and every thing. booth had their its own little jukebox. That's correct. That was fun. That I, was fun. Dad, give me a quarter. I ain't spending money on that shit. That's hilarious. The jukebox. And you trade. put some money in there, and you, you hit like whatever F seven, and Weird Al comes on. Now your dad's even more pissed. Now what was it that we? Where were we when we put the same song in the jukebox like seven times? I you're, know other people have done it. You're thinking of that comic that played uh, no, Mulrooney, yeah, or whatever Mulaney. I just listened to that bit, but I swear we were at Kathy's or something where somebody was like, "If they play that goddamn song again, what was?" Oh, I can't even think of the song. It was uh, that that comedian played um, over and over. What's new, Pussycat? What's new, new Pussycat? Pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Now the seventh time it comes around. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean that's a gag people can do. That's, yeah, homework, everybody. Go find a jukebox. Jukebox. Say well, it, say it correctly first of all, and then load in. I don't know five six bucks of one song. Well, now they have they have ways to play music at the bar. Oh. On an app yep. on your phone, yep. and you can pay money for it. And I've heard of people going in there and just playing at the wrong bar. You're like at a biker bar. Next thing you know, you have Britney Spears getting just blasted through the. Oh, what's funny. the what's the the brewery? Um, Dark Horse Brewery. Okay, um, they make their crooked tea, yeah, crooked tree beer. Right, a right. Pretty pretty big. They had, they had a stint on the reality TV show on Discovery. Doing oh yeah, yeah, some crap. But you walk into that brewery, and there's a jukebox, and they have a taped-on 8.5 by 12 or 8.5 by 11 piece of paper in bold letters right off the laser jet printer that says, uh, caution, do not play any, what were the two bands? I know one was Nickelback. No Nickelback. No Nickelback, and there was another one. Because if you play it, we're not only we're going to shut the jukebox off, we're kicking you out. And, and, and it says... By uh, the manager's name and the Aaron Morse, the owner says, Aaron will come out here, turn the jukebox off, and kick you and your party out. <laughs> nice. And he ain't fucking around. That's awesome. Yeah. I just had a realization as you told that story, and I tried my hardest to pay attention. But uh, you think they're called Nickelback because people were like, I want my Nickelback. <laughs> this is not worth the money. 100%. There I know go. that's the reason now, Brian. In my brain, that is the reason. <laughs> I love this reality that you live in. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay. We're coming out the jukebox trade, right? Uh, so here's the first time they're allowed to do improvisation. Oh, I can't say the word improvisational. Don't try. Just okay. do it. Oh, there is no. Okay, Yoda. Here's a first for the times. They were allowed to improvise the material. Eleanor's improvisational uh, use of melody and how she made it fit the emotion was revolutionary back then. Okay. People were all very rigid and strict, like, stick to the sheet music. You mean when they were outperforming? Outperforming, correct. Okay, well, I thought jazz was always improv. 
apparently not. Maybe in... not when you're playing with a big band. Right. Okay. So the first collaboration included a song called What a Little Moonlight Can Do and another one called Miss Brown to You. It's Miss Brown to You. Okay. Uh, what a Little Moonlight Can Do has been deemed her claim to fame. So that's like one of her popular songs. I, I, I want to listen to some of this music now because I know my dad has a he he really enjoyed that not a ton of that time music but her no she's very popular yeah along with the audio heads absolutely uh this guy brunswick he didn't like the recording session because producers wanted eleonora to sound more like uh this lady miss cleo <laughs> your future red <laughs> is that what you want me to say i was waiting but no uh miss cleopatra brown is her name she was a contemporary singer at the time and uh a peer to billy holiday you think miss cleo's still alive Oh, probably. What do these stars have for you? (laughs) No, you don't remember Where do you think she's from? Jamaica, man. Oh, that's your Jamaican accent. Okay. Yeah, it's clear as night. You sounded like a fez on that 70s show. I wasn't certain. Who was 100% completely American, and that was a joke (laughs) accent. Yes. And then the other chick was 100% completely Russian and had a perfect American accent. Mila Kunis? Yeah. I think she's just American. She nope. can speak Russian. Nope. You would think she talked like moose and squirrel. Yes. <laughs> That's all. I apologize to the one Russian listener we have, but uh, leave us a speak pipe. Let you us said know how you moose talk. Moose and squirrel, all right. Well, that's just a Rocky and Bullwinkle reference because that was always. No, she's Russian or I... Ukrainian or some Eastern freaking country over there. It's not Ukrainian bakery. It's my Ukrainian bakery. Some place James Bond got into some trouble at. Well, now, uh, after What a Little Moonlight Can Do was successful, the company began considering Eleonora as uh, as like an artist in her own right. Like, okay, maybe we can just start selling songs off of this girl. We don't need... Uh, She's just the singer. <laughs> we don't need Benny Hill or any of the rest of them. She begins recording under her own name a year later for Vocal Lion Records. Rawr. Vocal Lion. Brunswick was broke and unable to record many jazz tunes at the time. So they're like, okay, we can't do jazz. Uh, Eleanor and other musicians came into the studio without written arrangements. That reduced recording costs because when you got the written arrangements, you got to take time to do the hand notations and stuff. She's coming in there doing this improvisational thing in the studio. And they're like, it's not what we do, but I'm liking it. It's cheap. We'll right. Do it. We'll give it a shot. So that reduced recording costs. Brunswick paid Eleonora a flat fee rather than the royalty. That saved the company a bunch of money. So she's helping b- bail out this Brunswick Records. Uh, now they ended up going bankrupt and totally remodeling their their business plan, and they started making bowling balls. Correct, Brian? Uh, yeah, and lanes and waxes. Okay. Yes, big <laughs> lane and wax. Manufactured still to this day, chalk bags, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, all sorts ball of ball returners, ball polishers, yeah, a lot of ball polishers. Got to and... keep your balls polished. Uh, no, this is a different company, Brunswick. Uh, this is that one that I, I I named it as a person, but it's not. It's a uh, Brunswick Records. This song, "I Cried for You," sold fifteen thousand copies, which uh, the guy John Hammond called a huge hit for Brunswick. Uh, most records that made money sold around three to four thousand copies back then. Okay. So triple that. All right. Well, we have, we're not into a ton of crime. We got a little crime. We got more crime on the way? A little bit. All right. You'll get there. All right. Is she going to kill anybody? Ooh. I can't tell you that. That's no spoilers. <laughs> 
1937, Eleanor had a brief stint as a big band vocalist with Count Basie. <laughs> Count Basie. That 100% sounds like a name that could be used today. Count Basie? Were they really a count? Like owned a small village in transylvania or yeah something? was he bequeathed property yeah <laughs> by a lord possibly i own stumpworth on thames i am count basie you can uh you can buy a lordship on groupon i saw that looking for yeah things yeah i thought know. that was just the latest lord album no oh. <laughs> lord lord uh, traveling conditions for the band were often poor. They performed many one-nighters in clubs, moving on city to city with little stability. Uh, Eleonora chose the song she sang, which is unusual, and she had a hand in the arrangements, choosing to portray her uh, developing persona as a woman unlucky in love. So I she's think, starting to develop this character. Yeah, and I think these uh, musicians, even some of the ones that were kind of successful at the time, part of being a musician is you're going to have to travel. Yep. And it's going to be shitty. Working the road and it's going to suck. It's going to suck. Sometimes you're going to be so sick being on that bus and your feet are freezing. I was going to, you might lose a foot. <laughs> you might, li- and you're like, fuck it. I'm getting an airplane. Yeah. Get me out of here. Yep. Half the band might die in a plane crash, but yep. you're going to the next gig. <laughs> They'll hold one show, not two, if you're doing that next show. <laughs> if not, you'll get, what was that? Who was it? Merle Haggard, I think was that episode. Was it Merle? Check out the Merle Haggard episode and learn of the day the music died. There you go. Uh, Billy's tunes, Billy. Eleanor's tunes uh, included "I Must Have," "I Must Have That Man," Ooh, "Traveling," "Traveling All Alone." You see, see, it adds to their music. I can't get started. <laughs> and the summertime. The inflection, people. I hope everybody. I hope everybody appreciates the inflection. 1936, summertime was a big hit for Eleanora. Uh, Eleonora finds herself in direct competition with popular singer Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Fitzgerald was a vocalist for that Chick Webb band. We talked about him earlier, which was in direct competition with Basie's band. They beefing. <laughs> did they call it that? No, they did not call it that. Uh, they actually became friends later on, Ella Fitzgerald and uh, Eleonora. And Count Basie? Uh, yes, Count Basie and Chick Webb also become friends later on. After okay. a couple of, they actually had Battle of the Bands back in those days. It, well, it, I thought that started with the doo-wop bands. I don't know, but these guys, there was a couple references where they had Battle of the Bands, where like Chick Webb and his band would be playing this show, and then you'd have Basie and their band come and they play another song and they go back and forth and it's really good for the audience i don't know about the bands but so they didn't all just come in at the same time like snapping their fingers ah so you're a jet from your first cigarette you're never, a jet I've, all the way i've never seen it man oh yeah i've never seen it. i only i only have mild references i can use on that one how do you like a girl named maria is that on there? No, but there is a song oh. named Maria because she's the main love interest. I'll say Maria, that one. I know from Maria. Seinfeld. Um, they become friends, Eleonora Ella Fitzgerald. February 1938, Eleonora is no longer singing for Count Basie. Now, various reasons have been given for her firing. Uh, Jimmy Russ, Basie's male vocalist, called her unprofessional. And according to uh, internet sources, Eleonora was fired for being temperamental and unreliable. She was a woman. Well, she complained about low pay and poor working conditions, right. and that may female. She Sorry. may have refused to sing songs requested by uh, other people. The and men so they're in like, the crowd. "Hey, can you sing this song or change the style?" You hold on to that. We'll come back to that about men in the crowd. A month after being fired from Count Basie's band, Eleanor is hired by Artie Shaw. 
Oh, she was probably getting screwed over. Oh, yeah, it yeah. sounds like it. Yeah, and she was trying to stand up for herself. <laughs> they and, weren't having it. And, and, you know, I'm being a stupid funny guy, but they were serious. Like, no, you're you're just the sing. You're just, you're the girl. Yeah. Um. Excuse me, lady, go sit down. Make yeah. me a sandwich. <laughs> we will, we'll tell you when we either need you to A, sing, or B, bring us a sandwich. <laughs> That's just the times. We are joking, and it's not cool, but that was what people did back then. Well, we're joking to put... A spotlight on that she was probably trying to stand over. Yeah, this poor woman's an amazingly talented singer, and she's just like, "Um, guys, do you mind if we don't sing? I don't really like that song. It's hard on my throat." They're like, "Shut up! You sing when we tell you to sing." (laughs) She's like, "I'm sorry." She's probably nice about it, Uh, but she was. If she was nice about it or not, she was one of the first black women to work with a white orchestra. That was super unusual back then. It's also the first time a black female singer was employed full time toured around the segregated U.S. South um, with a white band leader. So she and, was taking some risks. And that's one more layer of that do-what-we-tell-you sort of right. mentality. Now, in situations where there were lots of racial tension, this Artie Shaw, he actually stuck up for her. You know, This one time, she wasn't permitted to sit on the bandstand with the other vocalists because she was black. And then Artie Shaw goes up to her and he's like, I want you on the bandstand like Helen Forrest, Tony Pastor, and everybody else. Well, yeah, so, she was his meal ticket. So he was being cool. I think he saw that. But a lot yeah. of people wouldn't have recognized that back then. Just been like, yeah, whatever. She can sit in the chair in the corner and sing from there. I wonder you know? how but many- he was like, dude, this is just a person. She's fucking talented. Get her up on stage. Yeah, good for him. Exactly. Yeah. You wondered something? Probably. No it's already gone through my head. There you go. Uh, well, wonder about this. When she's touring the South, Eleanor would sometimes get heckled by members of the audience, like you were saying. Now, in Louisville, Kentucky, a man called her a wench. Might have slipped another word in there before Where that. Where at, Brian? Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. There Kentucky. we go, Brian. I'm sorry. No, thank <laughs> Louisville. you. Louisville. Louisville. She's at Louisville, Kentucky. And a man called her, uh, yeah, a man called her a, a, a wench uh, and a bad name and uh, requested she sing a different song. Eleonora. Hell no! She lost it, dude. She went after the guy, and she had to be escorted off stage by other members of the band because she's gonna beat his ass. Uh, and I guarantee you, what <laughs> weapon of choice do you think she was carrying in her hand, running after that dude? Uh, a purse? Nope. Oh, uh, a shoe. A shoe. No. Oh yeah, yeah. No, right. <laughs> Beating shoe. Coming after you with a shoe. The Ike Turner. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. I don't want to hurt my hand. Coming. You, you know, just take that shoe off, sir. Come here. I'm coming to get you. Now, I have been heckled on stage and wanted to fight people, and that reminds me of my high school band, 21 Days. So we're going to take a break real quick. And uh, when we come back, well, more of Eleonora and the story of Billie Holiday. Okay, this will be edited. Well, no, I like, I like this part. I feel like this is the part where maybe you can hear me talking in the background because I was not in the band. I might have been at the concert. Though. Very possible. Yeah. It's a slow, sort of sad song because I figure Eleonora is kind of sad. It's sad on so many levels, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thanks, man. Oh, you mean this song. And we're back. Dude, it is <laughs> it is December. We are in the northern hemisphere yes in, of the earth so this was is our winter yes where in this part of the world we get things like snow typically 
There's no snow out there. No. It's pretty nice out there. It's pretty nice. I may go walleye fishing tomorrow. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt's like, hey, you want to go we'll meet you halfway, go out to the bay. Yeah, okay. Let's go. Yeah. It's December. If you want to check out some fishing, go to YouTube and check out onelastcast.org. You can see some ice fishing that Ben and I have done or some river fishing if you're up in the Flint area or appreciate uh, urban fishing. Urban fishing. Onelastcast.org. Yeah, it's it's good. A lot of editing. Well, oh, yeah. yeah a lot of editing. It's a fishing show. Yeah, you got to, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a weekend and a half's worth of filming for seven minutes of video average yeah, yeah. yeah. intro outro <laughs> so what do we got here we're we got billy holiday teed up we are we're back at billy holiday we're calling her eleanor because that's her birth name so um and she's now just starting to venture out kind of on her own and get credit for it that is correct she's yeah. going through some of the south uh as a black female lead singer and she's getting her Band leader Artie Shaw sticking up for her. March 1938, Shaw, Artie Shaw, and Eleonora are broadcast on New York City's powerful radio station, WABC. The original WABC is now WCBS. But uh, because of their success, they were given an extra time slot to broadcast back in April, uh, which increases their exposure again. Now she's on the radio. The big, huge radio, flame-throwing 1,200 gigawatts out at one time. 50,000 watts. Eleonora is touring with Count Basie and Artie Shaw. She scores a string of radio and retail hits with Teddy Wilson, becomes an established artist in the record industry. Her song, What's a Little Moonlight Can Do and Easy Living, are imitated by singers across America and are quickly becoming jazz standards. September 1938, Eleonora's single, I'm Gonna Lock My Heart, is ranked sixth as the most played song in that month. Uh, her record label, Vocal Lion, rawr, uh, that lists that single as its fourth bestseller in the same month, and it peaked at number two on the pop charts. Eleonora is in the middle of recording for Columbia in the late 1930s when she was introduced to Strange Fruit. It's one of our clues from the beginning. Ah, see, yeah, that's why we wouldn't have got it. So this is in the late 30s, so we're coming up on kind of World War II-ish time. I believe that's correct. There might have been some Germans taking over some parts of uh, Poland at the time here or something. I, I don't know my history that well, but I know it's close. So this is going to affect the fruit trade, so we get some strange fruit. Uh, it's a song based on a poem about a lynching written by Abel Miropal, a Jewish school teacher from the Bronx. A lynching of like a southern black person or something? I didn't get into the poem, to be honest with you. Eh, it's um, not your fort- Poetry's not your thing. Not reading it, writing it mostly. That's true. Typically, I, I, I don't... But uh, for her performance of Strange Fruit at the Cafe Society, she had the waiter silence the crowd when the song began. During the song's long introduction, the lights are dimmed, and all movement had to stop. Eleonora begins singing. Only a small spotlight is illuminating her face. On the final note, all the lights went out, and when they come back on, Eleonora is gone. Disappeared? magic trick, yep. Is that your magic trick you want to show me, Ryan? Yes, I can snap my fingers way over here. Okay. A quote from Billy about Strange Fruit. She says, quote, Strange Fruit became my biggest selling record. I went with uh, Gone with the Wind. I figured that oh, I thought one. that was Christopher Walken. Go ahead. <laughs> I can't find the fruit. It's, it's, it's strange. Weird. It's weird. It's strange. Uh, strange Fruit is the equivalent of a top 20 hit back in the 1930s. It's a smash hit. Eleanor's popularity increases after Strange Fruit. She receives a mention in Time Magazine. Ooh. Quote from Eleanora. Quote, 
I opened Cafe Society as an unknown. I left two years later as a star. I needed the prestige and the publicity, all right, but you can't pay rent with it. She's a very practical person. Christopher Walken, I'm sorry. Well, Which what, is good, too. It's what we got now. I'm committed. Eleanor's mother, Sadie, nicknamed the Duchess, uh, opened a restaurant called Mom Holidays. Oh, so she's still cooking flipping burgers. Yeah, man. Pancakes Ooh, and I'm all. I'm so hungry. I'm telling you. Uh, she used money from her daughter while playing dice with members of Count Basie's band, with whom she toured in the late 1930s. I mean, other than Yahtzee, have you ever played dice? Uh, craps. Have you? Do you know that? I don't know it. No, I'm not good at it. Qu- sidebar. So um, my family, uh, we spent a lot of holidays in Vegas mm-hmm. as adults because my parents head out to AZ for the winter because they don't like Michigan winters anymore. And my brother at the time was living in Vegas. And my other brother makes a bunch of money, so he just flew out to Vegas. So Brian would stay home all by himself for years. And then eventually I got some money, and I was able to go out to Vegas with my family. And we had Christmas and New Year's in Vegas, right? And uh, we get, I meet a girl, get engaged, whatever, and I take her one year, right? So we're staying in the Luxor, the big glass pyramid, and with our room deal, we got some money. But it was specific table game money. Like, we had money at, like, a backgammon table, money at the, what's that, 21, whatever that is. They have backgammon? You mean back rack? Whatever. I don't know. It had Think paddles and flipping. I wasn't doing it, but we had money uh-huh. at the craps table. Like we had these little coins that were only good for the craps table, right? They're crap coins, right? Crappy coins. So we go down to the craps table, and it's Vegas, right? It's Vegas at Christmas time, so it's kind of dead. But one table is just lit up. There's people all the way around the table, hey, you know, like the seven hey, or whatever, you know, and people are all excited. Let me guess, Kid Rock's there. Okay, he might have been right. So we walk up there, standing next to Kid Rock. Like, what's up, Bob? And uh, my wife's just leaning in, looking at the game. Boom. Rolls it. Craps. Is that good or bad? It's bad. Okay. Because every bet on the table is cleared. That's like when the house wins and somebody craps out. What is a crap? I feel like it's 7 or 11 before you hit your point number. So if I just roll, like, say, a 3, I got to roll a 3 again before I hit a 7 or 11. Right? Okay. That's craps. So if I hit the 3, I make my point, I make a bunch of money, and then we do it again. So we roll up there. First thing, boom, craps. Uh, rolls it again, freaking whatever, craps. And this lady goes, it's her, and points right at my wife. My wife's like, oh, what? And then she's like, you're killing the table. We were doing great until she got here. And I just look at my wife, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you threw under the bus? No, I, I oh. did not. It like, is yeah. her. Right. It is. And honestly, the, the guy with the big uh, cane stick, the dealer guy, he looks at me, and he goes, you need to get her out of here right now. I'm like, okay. And she's like, come back in the morning. There's nobody here. I'll teach you all about it. Like, all right. She's like, no, I want to play in my I'm like, come on, honey. You're going to get your ass beat. And so she's all upset. She's like, I just wanted to play craps. I hate Vegas. Gambling sucks. And so we're walking <laughs> back up to the room, right? And I'm just like, well, I don't want this to be a total bust. So I start playing slot machines as we go. And I'm pulling, you know, ding, ding, ding. Oh, Brian hits 50 bucks. She's like, I hate you. I'm, you know, ding, ding, ding. Brian hits 200 bucks. I made $340 on the way from the craps table to our room. And she was so mad. Oh. Yeah, I, I'm i not a big gambler. I have gone to many casinos and played many times. My problem is, is I win money. Yeah, I'm happy. Yes. Oh, oh, I won. I won. Right. I won fifty bucks. Oh, cool. But if I lose fifty bucks, I, I'm puking. I, I hate it. I That's hate a hit it. In my weekly it. budget, man. I hate. I hate losing money like that. We were at the Little River Casino, and I bet like two hundred dollars on a roll of roulette. You remember that? You guys were yeah. all there, and you're like, yeah. Oh, you, you did. Like, yeah. Did you win? I, I did. All right. 
you guys were all going to be like, oh, we should have lied and went, oh. Like, red, or, red or black. Yeah, exactly. That's how I play. 50-50. <laughs> and if you put one on each, you win every time. Yeah, right. That's exactly how that works. <laughs> uh, well, gambling is one of those things. And so here's a quote about Eleonora on her mom's gambling. <clears throat> quote, it kept my mom busy and happy, and it stopped her from worrying about watching over me. So uh, the Duchess here begins borrowing large amounts of monies from Eleanor to support the restaurant. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, Eleanor is obliged, but uh, she gives her the money. But soon she fell on hard times herself, right? And she says, quote, I needed some money one night, and I knew Mom was sure to have some. I walked in the restaurant like a stockholder, and I asked. Mom turned me down flat, though. She said she wouldn't give me a cent. God bless the child that's got his own. That's what, well, when you ain't got none, you can't give none. <laughs> I would love to give you the money, but I lost it to the uh, drummer and Count Basie's orchestra playing craps. Yeah, I got to go bet on the ponies later. Eleonora storms out. She wrote a song based on the lyric, God bless the child, and then added music. So 1941, God bless the child becomes Eleanor's most popular and most covered record. It reaches number 25 on the charts. And it's in uh, third in the Billboard song for that year, selling over a million records. Lemon, lemonade out of lemons. There you go. In 1976, coincidentally, that song is added to the Grammy Hall of Fame. So, oh, yeah, man. So your mom turned you down for the money that you gave her back on the loan, and it turned it into a Grammy Hall of Fame song. Yeah. Well, Boom. Nailed it. Take that, ma. June 24th, 1942. Eleanor records "Traveling Light" with Paul Whiteman. Uh, for a new label, Capitol Records. Is that when Capitol is new then, or just new I, to them? No, that's what I'm saying. Like Capitol new. Uh, no, it's a new record company, Capitol Records. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, they, they, they they started somewhere. Yeah, apparently in 1942 ish. Uh, because she is under contract to Columbia, she used the pseudonym Lady Day, which was also going to be one of her clues. So th- they she didn't want to them to know she was singing for another label. <laughs> that's correct. And so she just changed her name, and they never never figure it out. Nope. Okay. Well, the information exchange wasn't that big back well, in the day. Well, I would so, think you know. they could listen to the album. I don't think that's her. This sounds you think familiar. It's her? I don't think that's her. It might be her. Well, that's not her name. Well, that's not her then. The song "Traveling Light" reaches number twenty three on the pop charts and number one in the R and B charts. Back then, it was called the Harlem Hit Parade. Number one with the Hit Parade. All right. And did you know what "break a leg" means? Well, I always thought it was something you'd tell someone because there was some superstition that you wanted to tell them to go do something bad so they didn't do something bad. Like, you didn't want to tell them, good luck, because in the... We're well, not the, supposed to say that in the stage or the in theater. The theater. You're not supposed right. to say good luck. You're right. supposed to say break a leg. Right. Well, here's the thing. What break a leg means, and I stole this thing, too, also from not John Mulaney, but another comedian, Burt Kreischer, was talking about it. It's uh, when they would clap and stuff, people would stomp their feet back in the day because, like, the wood floors of the theaters, it would make a loud, you know? So you would want them to stomp so hard that someone would break a leg. But that's like saying good luck, though. Why? I thought break a leg meant it was like a It negative. is, but that's what I'm saying. You want someone to like you so much, and you want that performer to receive such an ovation that someone stomps their feet to the point they break it. So you're telling a performer backstage before they go on. Right. To break a leg. Right. You're not referring to breaking their own legs. No. You're referring to breaking the audience's legs. Right. Out of appreciation for your performance. So you'd be like, ah. All right. Well, if anybody out there in the uh, podcast world can shed any more light on this, we'd love to hear it. 
Yeah, there's a podcast about like uh, breaking legs, breaking it's, legs. It's, or, a, it's one about the Italian mob, entomology or entomology, whatever the study of words and phrase origins. Hit and us up, see if I did it. See if I nailed it. Biblioteca. <laughs> Donde esta la biblioteca? Uh, let's see. August seventh, nineteen forty-four. Eleanor signs to Decca Records when she's twenty-nine. Her first Decca recording was "Lover Man," number sixteen in the pop charts, number five in the R and B. One of her biggest hits. So she's been putting out big hits for a while now a couple years now yeah she's yeah. about a decade in or so yeah the success and distribution of that song makes eleonora a staple in the pop community leading to solo concerts which is rare for jazz singers in the late 1940s especially black women 100 yep. percent 1946 eleonora records good morning heartache although the song failed the chart she sang it a couple of live performances and there are said to be only three live recordings known of that song of yeah. her? Yeah, Good or Morning Heartache. any song of her? No, just Good Morning Heartache. Okay. You got three chances to listen to it. That's it. Then that's it. September 1946, Eleanor begins her only major film, New Orleans. She stars opposite Louis Armstrong and Woody Herman. They probably did a lot of singing. I bet you it was more like a concert singing show. Yeah. So, Plagued by racism and McCarthyism of the day, producer Jules Levy and scriptwriter Herbert Briberman are pressed to reduce Eleonora and Armstrong's roles to avoid the impression that black people created jazz. They didn't want people to think blacks had something to do with jazz music? Correct. Their attempts fail because 1947, Bieberman uh, is listed as one of the Hollywood Ten and sent to jail. Oh, yeah, that was uh, the communist crap, huh? Correct. Hollywood Ten is a blacklist for communists or sympathizers who are barred from working uh, by all the studios. He's a commie. That guy's a commie. We're a little kid like you learn a word like that. Eleanor's uh, drug addictions were becoming a problem on the set of the movie, too. Um, she earned more than $1,000 per week from club gigs, but spent most of it on heroin. Ooh, wow. She got, got the H. Yeah. Her lover, Joe Guy, travels to Hollywood while Eleanor is filming and supplies her with drugs. Got so, a runner. Yep. Now, the producers figure that out. Guy is banned from the set um, when he's found there by Eleanor's manager. They're like, got him. That's the guy. Cut him off. By the late 1940s, Eleanor had begun recording a number of slow, sentimental ballads, which is why I'm doing Gone with the Wind for her voice. Well, maybe it's because she was all drugged out. That all is not what do. I'm thinking. I'm doing yeah. my heroin voice. 1947, Eleanor... Eleonora is at her commercial peak, having made $250,000 in three previous years. She's ranked number two in the downbeat poll for 1946 and 47. July 6, 1947, she's ranked fifth in Billboard's annual college poll of, quote, girl singers. <laughs> Just a, yeah, you're pretty good for a girl, girl singer. singer. 1946, Eleonora won the Metronome Magazine popularity poll. I have a metronome, a real, real wooden one at my house. I needed it. I needed that thing. I never used it for what it was meant to be used for, but you wind it up. It's wooden. It's a, tri a triangle. You take the face off. You can move the little weight up and down the arm. It, yeah, it's fun. It sounds just like that. May 16th. Dude, did freaking 15 years of private drum lessons. That metronome was drilled into my head. 15 and years I'll... of private drum lessons, and Brian's left with this. <laughs> and I'll still drop <laughs> Yeah, still drop the freaking tempo. May 16th, 1947, Eleonora is arrested for possession of narcotics in her New York apartment. Heroin, huh? They yeah. had a heroin back then. That was her thing. May 27th, she's in court. Quote from Eleonora, quote, It was called the United States of America versus Billie Holiday, and that's just the way it felt. That was her court case? Yeah. And they used her stage name? 
trial of the century. Well, paper paper oh, headlines, I'm sure. Just they're just okay. All right. During the trial, she heard that her lawyer would not come to the trial to represent her. Well, that's a bad lawyer. Quote from Eleonora. In plain English, that meant no one in the world was interested in looking out for me. <laughs> Dehydrated and unable to hold down food, she pleaded guilty and then asked to be sent to the hospital. The district attorney spoke in her defense saying, quote, If your honor, please, this case, this is a case of a drug addict, but more seriously, however, than most of our cases. Miss Holiday is a professional entertainer and among the higher ranked as far as income was concerned. So basically, he's like, come on, man. She's rich. Yeah, she's rich. You know we're supposed to treat rich people right. different, right? Warden, 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 <laughs> let me out of jail. Uh, she's sentenced to Elderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia. The drug possession conviction causes her to lose her New York City cabaret card, and that prevents her from working anywhere that sells alcohol. you got to have mm. a card as a performer in New York or wherever else to perform where they're selling booze. So now she can only perform in concert venues and theaters. Where they don't sell booze. Correct. Okay. Boo. March 6, 1948, Eleanor is released uh, early because of good behavior. Um, she arrives in Newark. Her pianist, Bobby Tucker, and her dog, Mister, were waiting for her. Oh, that's nice. The dog leaps at Eleanora, knocking off her hat and tackling her to the ground. And then just this lady thought the dog was attacking her, and she screams. And so then a crowd gathers, and reporters arrive. Like, how long did this dog lick in her face for? You know, people, the freaking, oh, look what's happening. Oh, my God. You know. Well, like, you said a reporter's arrived. I mean, by the time the reporters got there, they were in the car leaving. Well, it's yeah. New York City, man. I don't know. I There's guess reporters re- are everywhere. There's just a, a <laughs> string of them waiting at the cab line. Back in the 40s, man. They're just, what's the new What's the new hot tip? What's going to go on? Hey, what's happening? The big cameras with the huge <laughs> silver flashy thing on the top. Giant flashbulb. Looks like a. Looks like a thing you put oil in your vehicle with, a big funnel. March 27, 1948. People funnel into Carnegie Hall to uh, see Eleonora play her first show getting out of the joint. It's a sold-out crowd. Eleonora is hesitant, though. She's unsure the audience would accept her after being arrested. She's like, man, I I got arrested. I don't know if people are going to like that out of a celebrity, if they'll let me (laughs) do my job still. I'm a celebrity. I'm not supposed to get arrested. Right. I got arrested. I'm famous. I let everybody down. I feel bad. 2,700 tickets were sold in advance, a record at the time for the venue, Carnegie Hall. 2,700, you... that's it? Well, it's Carnegie Hall, man. It's just like a indoor. Have you ever been there? No. You know how you get there? No. Practice. Oh, her popularity was unusual. <laughs> because... I just, I get that. I get that. Yeah. I get it. I get it. All go. right, I get it. Uh, her popularity, <laughs> popularity was unusual because um, she didn't have current hit record at the time, right? She'd been in the joint, so... They were like, I don't know if she's going to sell. Nobody thought she's going to be able to do this. She had such a good time. She sang 32 songs that night. You go to a concert, you get 32 songs, that's, dude. That's a hell of a show. That's a lot of songs. Oh, how they, I mean, it was like all night long. Was probably just doing jukebox length songs all anyway. All night long. All night. All, all night. night. All night long. All night. You know, he's been around for a long time, Everyone man. Everyone you meet be jamming in the streets all night long. That was a big song. It was, man. That was good. And and what was the one where he, the, 
Uh, oh, hello, where they had the blind. Hello. The blind lady making a bust of him out of like clay. Is it me you're looking that for? That was the worst. I can see it in your eyes. That was the worst clay bust of Lionel Richie well, ever. Well, she was blind. No offense. Well, I mean, I you mean, would think then maybe she could like feel his do face more. She better. probably never met him. They just probably hired her for the video. Do you think she, do you think that chick in the real life was blind? Oh, no, I highly doubt that. I have no idea. I think she's it's probably somebody I, like on tv or something like that they just hired her out as an actress like courtney cox was in the bruce springsteen video well i'm just picking a random chick out of the crowd yeah right i remember that video thinking i think the point of this video is that this blind sculptor was able to make his face just from hearing his voice Ooh. and then thinking to myself but that's a really really bad sculpture maybe she didn't like his voice well yeah i think I think they, whoever they actually hired to make that sculpture of Lionel Richie. Oh, yeah, okay. Like in the back, the, the guy prop that, hey, master. Yeah, who can make this real quick? We're going to make it look like this girl who who's blind. Who's really not blind. Uh, make that. So make it really, really good. Impress me. It was, not, it was terrible. <laughs> it's not impressive. Terrible. Like, we don't want it to be too good. No, we want it as good as you can we make it. We want it to look like she's like a new artist. Like, she hadn't done this medium before. Maybe she's acrylic paints and now she's trying clay. So. Maybe she's from high school and this is her class. Like really deep. Maybe the actress didn't really know how to sculpt and they're like, just do it. You're fine. We'll give you an extra $200. My daughter's, uh, you know, all the kids are doing the online learning with the computers and the teachers are in there. They're doing what they got to do. Oh, yeah. They're doing pretty good. Uh, she has a uh, um, uh, ceramics class. I took that twice in high school, not because I wanted to, not because I had to. No, she's doing ceramics online now in the basement, taking the computer down there, playing with clay. Oh yeah, you got. You had to buy a kiln and no, we didn't uh, have a bunch to get of clay. A, they will let you drop the pieces off at the school, like in a box labeled, and then they'll fire them. Sure. Uh, I don't know that she's had any fired yet, but they can't. They can't paint them or dip them or do what glaze. Glaze. It's called glaze. Yeah. Um. She hasn't had anything fired yet. I think she was waiting until she could actually, because our, you know, Amy, yeah, is a ceramic. They have two ceramics teacher at the high school, and Amy, our one of her good friends, is one of them. And she doesn't have Amy as a teacher, but Amy can take her into the school. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And I mean, she after she's already had her grades, and yeah, you did good. Whatever. There's an A in ceramics. There you go. Uh so yeah. And my other kid has got Jim online. <laughs> she's running in circles. They they run up and down the stairs. Yeah. yeah. Look, man, I didn't get the high traffic carpet, Mister Pevelacqua, whoever the freak gym teacher is. Pevelacqua. Who was that, Mister Pevelacqua? Pevelacqua. Who was that? What was that? He's from? a gym teacher from when we were younger. No, that's Mister Boudreau. Uh, he's the gym teacher on Seinfeld. That's what it was. Yes, Mister Pevelacqua. Can't stand you. <laughs> what? What size underwear you wear? <laughs> Let's look. Wow, this took a turn. All right. Back to what are we talking about? Axel Rose? I well, can't even remember. We're talking about Eleonora, and she has she's whooping ass at this comeback concert, Carnegie Hall, right? Yeah. So she sold it out, 32 songs that night. Someone sends her a box of gardenias during the show. I think they were gardenias. So, like, the show is so long, someone had a chance to go to a flower shop, place an order. They filled it, ran it back to the show. She's still singing because she's only, like, 20 songs in. Yeah. They give her a box of gardenias. Quote from Eleonora, quote... My old trademark. I took them out of the box, fastened them smack to the side of my head without even looking twice. Now, here's the problem. There was a hat pin in the gardenias, and Eleanor unknowingly stuck it inside of her head. And, quote, 
I didn't feel anything until the blood started rushing down in my eyes and ears. Is a heroin. Is a heroin needle, wasn't it, Brian? After a third curtain call, she passed out. So maybe. How big was the needle? <laughs> yeah, I'm was it imitating a knitting needle. I'm like three feet away from my head. Yeah, man, you're what knitting. The- Drop one, pearl two. That's a big, that can be big needles. Have you seen those giant knitted blankets they have now where like the yarn is like a softball size diameter? You know what they use for the knitting needles? I don't. Pull cues? Your arms. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You just just pull and just pull and do make a big, yeah. I'd rather do pull cues. (laughs) Knocking lamps down. (laughs) Breaking. breaking We're going to need a new pole barn for my new uh, knitting hobby. Uh, So January 22nd. 1949, Eleonora is arrested again in her room at the Hotel Mark Twain in San Francisco. She said she'd begun using hard drugs in the early 40s. Not before then, though. It was just soft drugs. She marries trombonist Jimmy Monroe on August 25th, 1941. I heard he was a good tromboner. She knew he knew a ways his way around a boner. Uh, while they were still married, she became involved with trumpeter Joe Guy, her drug dealer. <laughs> she owed him. So, right, yeah, right, when you're on the hook. She divorces Monroe in 1947, also splits up with Guy. In October 1949, she records, Crazy He Calls Me. She sounds like she is kind of living the rock and roll lifestyle. I believe she is a little rock and roll at this <laughs> yeah. point. Going through men, well, bunch of she was, drugs. She was a, a, a probably forced into prostitution when she was a kid. She'd yeah. seen the hard, hard side of the track. Oh, she grew up quick. Yeah, yeah. And, and so for her, she's like, I got a little money, got a little freedom. I know I'm black. I know I'm female, but fuck it. Let's go. Yup. Yeah, that fuck you money back in the 40s. That's crazy. Think about that. Do what I want. Exactly. Uh, crazy, he calls me. That song gets inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Crazy. Night in 2010, so she was long crazy dead. Crazy for feeling. Nice. So Much like that hit. Uh, this hit was her most successful recording for Decca Records after Loverman. So this, she's crushing it, man. She's still doing really good. The charts of the 1940s do not list songs outside of the top 30, making it somewhat impossible to recognize minor hits. Um, so she probably had a couple more songs that we don't hear about that were still popular, but not. And probably a couple dudes 30s. you don't know about. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm sure some road dogs out there. <laughs> yeah, man. I got guys in San Francisco to I mean, Se- Se- Seattle. I don't know. Get after it. And it wasn't cool that you're a chick back then, or a dude anyways. I mean, you didn't really talk about that that much. That wasn't such a publicity stunt, positive publicity stunt. No, that's true. That was sort of frowned upon. So you just did it because you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, losing that cabaret license, she really reduced uh, what she could make, though, because she couldn't play those clubs anymore. So now she... She had she, basically she stuck doing theaters, concerts. She didn't get proper record royalties. But so. was that just in New York or well, all over the country? I think it's all over. I don't know. Liquor well, laws are yeah, but different in every state. They're changing, but remember, prohibition I think was nationalized. Oh well, maybe it was her. Um, so it might be carry like her over. SAG card. You know, there Street you go. Actors Guild, and she had to give into this. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's. Yeah. It hurt her. Problem, the problem gets worse when Eleonora's uh, records went out of print too in the 1950s. They went out of print. Yeah, so What's they stopped printing. Like they just they stopped stamping records from her. From her. Yep. Uh, she like, oh, that's old 20s and 30s and 40s music. It's the 50s now because now you got chubby checkers. You got the swing. People are switching over genres. Yeah. Okay. So um, she still didn't receive royalties even years later. 1958, she received a royalty check for eleven dollars. 
Oh, geez. Dude, and we just talked about Grammy Hall of Fame. We talked about number one hit, top of the pop charts, top of the Harlem hit parade. Top so of she this. wasn't getting any royalties for anything? She got hosed, it yeah. sounds like, wow. Yep. 1948, Eleonora plays at the Ebony Club, which was against the law because she didn't have a cabaret license. Her manager, John Levy, is convinced he could get her cabaret card back and allow her to like open without one. So he's like, quote, oh, no, this is Eleonora, quote, I opened scared. I was expecting the cops to come at any chorus and carry me off. But nothing happened. I was a huge success. But she's not getting, she's not getting, she's getting paid for her club, her club appearances or whatever. Where they hand her a check on the way out the door. Right. But not for any of her vinyl stuff. Oh, none of that. Nope. She gets none of that. 1950s, Eleanor's drug abuse, drinking, and relationships with abusive men caused her health to deteriorate. I bet. (laughs) It's not a good combo. Doing a bunch of crack and then getting the shit kicked out of you will never help. (laughs) That's not how you follow that up. That's not a good way to go. Her later recordings showed the effects of declining health on her voice. Uh, It grew coarse and no longer projected in its former vibrancy. See, I'm doing the right voice. Eleanor toured Europe uh, in 1954. January 1954, the tour starts in Stockholm, then Germany, Netherlands, Paris, and finally Switzerland. Uh, November 10th, 1956, she performs two concerts before packed audiences at Carnegie Hall in New York City again. March 28th, 1957, she marries Louis McKay. He's a mob enforcer. Hmm. Not violent at all. McKay, like most of the men in her life, is abusive. Beats the crap out of her. Early 1959, Eleanor is diagnosed with cirrhosis probably of the liver although she had initially stopped drinking on her doctor's orders it was not long before she relapses 1959 she's lost 20 pounds 1.9 kilogram for those uh, metric people uh her friends all tried what do you mean those metric people those who you call those metric people you people you metric people uh her fan her friends all tried to persuade her to go to the hospital they're like come on man go dude May 31st, 1959, Eleanor is finally taken to Metropolitan Hospital in New York for treatment of liver disease and heart disease. The Federal Bureau of Narcotics, under the order of Harry J. Anslinger, had been targeting Eleanor since at least 1939. She's under federal investigation. Well, that's probably back when they were investigating almost all celebrity singers and with the you know, the commie stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm about you. So uh, she's arrested, handcuffed for drug possession. As she lied dying in her hospital room, it's raided, and she's placed under police guard. Well, of course there's drugs. It's a hospital. <laughs> They're everywhere. Yeah. They're sick with them. That guy's got some. That guy's got She's taking them right now. There's a whole room over there full of drugs. Dude. June 15th, she receives last rites from the Roman Catholic Church. July 17th, 310 a.m. What do we know about specific times? It's never good. No, it's the. Eh, eh. She dies of pulmonary edema and heart failure caused by cirrhosis of the liver. She was 44 years old. Oh, that. Uh, how old? <laughs> 44. Shit. In the clear. <laughs> uh, in her final years, she had been progressively swindled out of her earnings. She died with a grand total of how much do you think she had in her bank account? Let me. Hold on. $7,893.27. Oh, my God. The first number is correct. The rest is all wrong. 70000 <laughs> The first two numbers are correct. What? 70 cents. Holy cow. <laughs> 0.70 in the bank when she died. That was her total worth. 
Holy cow. Dude, they screwed her out of all sorts of money. Well, okay. At some point, you're letting yourself get screwed. Well, no. Yeah, the heroin and the I mean, of, The mob enforcer probably did not help with the bottom line. You can always take the tool route. Uh, licensing? No. Oh, you're not going to let me out of my contract? I got a contract with you for 10 years? Fine. See you in 10 years. I, I ain't doing shit. Yeah, man. I mean, and who? I think Neil Young had a thing. Hey, maybe that Neil Young podcast that's on that podcast thing that we're with now. Yeah, check maybe out. they can. Maybe we can ask that, those guys about. Um, so there was Neil Young was under a contract, and they're like, "Nope, you still owe us an album or some, you know two albums or something." He's like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> I'll get you an album," <laughs> and he made on purpose some bad oh, bad stuff. Jeez, there's some bad like a like a electronic version of transformer man it's just terrible was that horse crazy horse was that well no he thought that was good oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right he thought they were the best sorry uh she did not have dude that's she was ama- not the best cray cray. 70 cents in the bank july 21st 1959 her funeral mass is held at church of saint paul the apostle in manhattan she's buried at saint raymond's cemetery in the bronx nyc when eleonora died the new york times published a short obituary on page 15 without a byline so man they they scooped her up and dumped her out as quick as possible well hold on I, here's what i'm gonna believe here's what i choose to believe that somebody that she was close to and her worked it out real good to where when she died, she showed zero money and they took the money. Oh. And so it didn't have to get taxed. There you go. Because, yeah, I state mean, tax will kill you. You know, rich people want to pass that along to their heirs. Generational with, wealth. Yeah, yeah, without having a bunch of uh, hands touching it, government hands, you know, yeah, yeah. touching it. Tax so, it once, man. Let's just, let's just all believe that's what happened. She, was wealthy beyond belief, and she handed it all off to a mob mob boss enforcer. Well, this corroborates your thought train there. She left an estate of $1,000, and her best recordings from the 1930s were mostly out of print. So she's got nothing for value, nothing for uh, income. So she's so far on your plan. She's posthumously nominated for 23 Grammy Awards. Uh, Billy Holiday received several Esquire magazine awards during her lifetime. Her posthumous awards also include being inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, Ertgun Jazz Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the ASCAP Jazz Wall of Fame. Is that the wall of the Hall of Fame for like the animal lovers? The what was the it? ASCAP. C-A-P-A. Okay. Did Sarah McLaughlin sing at that? Uh, it's possible. In the arms of an Just stop showing sad puppies. Take my money. <laughs> God. <laughs> 1985, a statue of Billie Holiday was erected in Baltimore, Maryland, USA. June 25th, uh, 2019, the New York Times Magazine listed Billie Holiday amongst hundreds of artists whose materials were reportedly destroyed in the 2008 Universal Studio fires. I, I was going to bring that. I was I, I was going to comment on that earlier in the show. Um, yep. Nah, we've already said we've already used that joke. No, it comes up, man. Yeah. When mean, you said she only had three known recorded blah, blah, blahs of that. Right. Like, oh, they get burned up in the big fire. They did. Uh, if you really like Billie Holiday, the Billie Holiday Monument is located at Pennsylvania and West Lafayette Avenue in Baltimore's Upton neighborhood. You can go check out a big statue of her. And finally, a quote from Billie Holiday, Eleonora, something, something, something herself. They think they can make fuel from horse manure now. 
I don't know if your car will be able to get 30 miles to the gallon, but it's sure going to put a stop to siphoning. <laughs> Billy Holiday, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> What'd you think of Billy Holiday? I, I, I had very, other than just listening to a couple of uh, songs and albums in my dad's you know, barn back in the day, um, I didn't know nothing about her. Yeah, right? I was not even really sure she was black. I didn't know. No, I yeah. agree. When I started this, I was the same thing. I'm like, oh, I know your name. I know you're like super famous vocalist and all that stuff, but I didn't know the story was like that. Yeah, and I could probably only pick out a couple of her songs because I don't think we sat there and listened to the, you know, we didn't have like Rush Day, Billy Holiday Day, where we listened to all of her stuff in a row. No, just, right? My dad would pop one side on and, oh, I like this song, and then turn it, you know, we'd turn it over to, you know, Led Zeppelin or some crap. I was gonna say Aerosmith. My dad does. Eh, eh. He was out of. He was. He was done listening to the music by the time Aerosmith came around. I see. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. Uh, because we're talking about Aerosmith, now it's time for some feedback. Yeah. We have a Facebook comment from Jason. Jason. Jason Roy. Okay. And it says nothing. It's just a picture of action figure Aaron Carter. Oh, let's see. Uh, let's see here. I'll I'll describe it. Oh, that'll be fun. I'll describe. So our uh, audience. Hey, so Brian is thinking about trying to do a video thing here with us. Um, I think he's really. Uh, we're ugly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks like. Oh, you just coveted my phone. That's oh, I fine. did. I'm coveting your phone. Oh my god. It it actually kind of it. It has a picture of an action figure, just kind of a bust of it. His face and, and head. And it's his yes. face and head, and it looks like it's attached to a shiny body where you can maybe just turn the neck a little bit. It's got some blonde hair with some dark roots. Just a normal-looking face, white kid-looking thing. But the, the thing that gets me right away is that above the picture, because Jason sent this on Brian's Facebook post. Is this on Crime and Music? Yes, it's Crime and Music feed, yep. Uh, right above the picture, it says, Jason Roy. So not knowing anything, you're looking at you're looking at you go, oh, this is a picture of Jason Roy. <laughs> Jason you're like, no, Roy. I know what Jason. No, wait, hold on. It kind of looks like Jason Roy, Brian. <laughs> a little bit. That's like old school. Remember when he dyed his hair blonde? I mean, yes. Remember when Eminem oh, wow. dyed his Eminem, hair blonde? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's that's Jason Roy. Many fish in the sea. You never look like me. Uh, All right, Jason, Jason Roy. Jason Roy now looks like Aaron Carter in my world. There you go. It, that's what happened. Aaron um, Carter uh, action figure. We've got we've got a speak pipe. We've With got more Kung feedback. Fu grip. We got a speak pipe from Skittles because Skittle. he's colorful. Let's hear what Skittles has to say. You like to dance on the hip-hop spots. Then you cruise to the grooves to connect the dots. Not just urban, you like the pop because she was living La Vida Loca. Skittles, everybody. Ricky Martin had an ass that wouldn't stop. I'm just saying. Dude, I, you are correct. <laughs> Ben's a fan back from the old Menudo days. Like He's been on that Ricky Martin chain. Um, we got one more speak pipe. We got no. Sp- hold on, no. Skittles has been a he's been on before, correct? Oh, Skittles has been on several times. Yeah, yeah he's our right. poet. He le- he leaves poetry usually about butts. So, well, but living la vida loca. Well, I, I the, like it. He he just he just talks of, of music. So you got to listen to the words and try to put it. I couldn't put it together until <laughs> he said the last bit there. That's well, fun. let's do it again. Nah, that's fine. That's All right. Good. We got one more speak pipe from Anne. Let's see what Anne has to say. Hey, I'd just like to let you guys know. I've been listening regularly, and today I have actually hit my second episode with the co-host being a new buddy, Jason. 
I just like to put it out there. He's much more pleasing to listen to than Ben is. <laughs> yes. Ben sounds like he's got a bag of dicks in his mouth and he's slobbering everywhere. <laughs> And everybody, and gets me. I've been, gets me. been sitting on this for a couple of weeks. I'm like, please come over. I want to play this message so bad. Oh my gosh, she gets she she. Thank you, Anne. If you would like to be like Ann uh, Skittles or Jason, go to crabbymusic.com.com. Your dad's in it now. dot com. Scroll down to the speak pipe. Just push a button. You don't have to leave your name. She left her name as Anne. Maybe I made it up. One or one or the other. But you too can leave a message for Ben, myself, or Jason, or just comment on the show. That would be awesome since we're talking about that stuff. It's time to get out of here for this week. But man, that was a fun one, eh? Yeah, we had two speak pipes. That's the first I think I've been on with two speak pipes. I think you might be right. Yeah. I'd space them out. But yeah, yeah no, you're good. right. All right. No, uh, Billy Holiday learned a lot. It was fun. I thought so too. Man, again, you guys like this stuff. Hit us up. Feedback at crimeandmusic.com. You want to send us an email or. Uh, any type of artwork or songs. I mean, it does happen. People haven't sent anything yet, but I hear about it. You want you want people to send you artwork? Sure. Okay. You can send me a file. Didn't Absolutely. somebody send us a, a, a jazz song once? On a... Oh, yeah. No, we got the sexy sax man. He yeah. sent us a jazz song and a clarinet song. Oh, if you're out there, dude, send us another one of those. It's been a while. We'll get you back. Play something off key. With a with a with a with a with a, a saxophone or a, a piccolo. Okay. Something off key. Off key. Yeah. What, but we got to know what the song is. What key would they be off? Of? I don't know. Just like so, it doesn't sound good, but it sounds perfectly bad. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, if you can make that happen, let us know, guys. Um, boy, leave reviews, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. If there's anything else we can do for you, let us know. Like the song says, never trust a big button a smile. I wonder what Ann's butt looks like. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.